I'm excited about today. Today we get to talk about a Greek concept. Um, it's called, uh, it's kind of a balancing, contrasting concept. Men and day is the way you'd pronounce it in Greek, but it looks more like D. So you can say it however you want to. I'm not a stickler on how you pronounce these things. Men and D, D or day, it depends on if it's a long E uh, and how they do it. They do it differently depending upon the construction of the sentence. But here's the deal. All of us make decisions. We have to make decisions all the time in life. I have to make a decision about uh, uh, I, I go to Austin tonight for a deposition tomorrow. I have a decision to make. What time do I leave? Uh, what hotel will I stay in? Who needs to be there to help me? In what order will I go about reading the material to get ready for the deposition? How am I going to annihilate the witness tomorrow? You know, what time, how long am I going to dedicate to this set of questions versus that set of questions? Because I've got a time limit for the deposition. So I've got all these decisions I've got to make. That doesn't count the other ones. Like Becky saying to me this morning, what would you like for lunch? Okay, or how about this? Sarah says, what time are we leaving for church? Or... What am I going to wear? We live a life of decisions. It's no different if you go back 2,000 years ago. They lived lives of decisions. The Greeks lived lives of decisions as their language was developing. Don't you know, they developed language to help them explain their decisions. And one of the things in a decision-making process we do is we contrast the differences between a yes and a no. Well, you know, yes, I can stay, uh, uh, leave at 5 o'clock today for Austin. But that means I won't get there until X time. And I've got to do Y amount of work before I go to sleep. So that means I won't get to sleep until midnight. But I will have that extra hour and a half with my family as opposed to leaving at 3.30, which would get me to sleep by 10.30. But I will have missed out on an hour. And you start sitting there and you start weighing this. And so this process of weighing options or considering options or looking at a contrast between if I say yes to this or if I say no to this, That process is expressed in our language. And so we can look, for example, at the difference between saying, on the one hand, if I do this and this, and then what's our expression? On the other hand, if I do that and that. So on the one hand, if I leave at 5, I get to bed at midnight, On the other hand, if I leave at 4.30, I get to bed at 10.30, but I lose time with the family. But on the one hand, Becky's leaving to go to Dallas anyway. But on the other hand, my girls will be home. But on the one hand, no, they won't because they have better things to do on a Sunday afternoon than spend time with dad. But on the other hand, maybe they'll have a flat tire and need me to change it. But on the one hand, and you see, we go back and forth. Back and forth. 
Now, that's the idea I want you to have in your mind. Contrast. This back and forth. The idea that we can make decisions and, and, and have it on the one hand and have it on the other hand. And these are decisions we make all the time. Every Sunday you've got decisions to make. On the one hand, on the other hand. Now, here's the Greek writing method or speaking method. Men, M-E-N. Men. Say it with me. Men. Very good. Men means on the one hand, when you're reading your Greek and you see men, it's about to set up a statement that we can think of generally as on the one hand. And then the D or the day is on the other hand. All right? So you got the men and the day. On the one hand, on the other hand. On the one hand, on the other hand. And you see that contrast in the Greek. Now, Sometimes it's real clear. So you can take a passage like Hebrews 7.18. It's one of those rare passages where the translators actually translate the men and the day in this way. In the English Standard Version, we read Hebrews 7.18. For on the one hand, and that on the one hand is men. For on the one hand, and remember the N, that Greek N looks like our V. So don't be disguised. Don't be confused, I mean. Um, don't be disguised. Oh, I put on this funny glasses because of that. Um, for on the one hand, men, in the Greek, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. But... On the other hand, and that's your Greek word, day. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. So you see, you've got this men and day. On the one hand, on the other hand. And men, day is used to set up the contrast, to set up the one hand and the other hand. It's to separate out these different ideas and put them in contrast. So if we go back to the uh, PowerPoint, it brings us to uh, our Greek geek cartoon. Uh, hey, geek, we guys want to know how you keep your ideas straight in Greek. Hmm. You just have to separate your men from day, boys. Men from day, boys. Men from day, boys. Uh, okay. Anyway, yeah, that's a stretch. So... Here's what we're going to do for the next 30, 40 minutes. We're going to look at some men day passages in the New Testament. And what I want you to do is we look at them. Some of them, we're going to start out with some easy ones. But then we're going to progress to some more unusual ones. And because these are passages where the translators do not help us by translating men on the one hand. They just leave it out. 
Because instead of translating, on the other hand, they'll use a word like but. So they'll say, blah, 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 but, blah, blah, blah. And it loses some of that sharp contrast that's present in the Greek. And so I want us to look at some of these phrases, thinking about it as men and day, one or the other. You with me? Okay, then let's do it. We'll start with Matthew 9, 37. And I'm hoping I've got that laid out. I don't have that laid out here. That's all right. We'll do it this way. Matthew 9, 37. This is one of the easy ones. You're not going to be shocked to see this. Matthew 9, 37. Okay, here we go. This starts in verse 35. Jesus goes throughout the cities and the villages. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing every disease and every affliction. He sees the crowds. And he has compassion for them because they're harassed. They're helpless. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he says to his disciples... The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, the Greek has men and day in this. And so we can look at it and see it. Here's the men right here. Men. On the one hand... The harvest is plentiful day. But on the other hand, we don't have many people out there to get it. So pray to God to get more people out there to get it. More laborers. So he's setting up a contrast. On the one hand, good news. Lots of harvest. But on the other hand, bad news. Too few laborers. Let's pray for more laborers. You see that contrast? The men day contrast? That's an easy one. We're starting out with the easy ones. All right. Next easy one. Just We'll just keep going. Matthew 10, 13. Matthew does a great job. He uses this a lot. So does the writer of Hebrews. Um, if you follow Jewish thought, both Matthew and Hebrews are pretty Jewish books. The Jews had this same concept on the one hand, on the other hand. One of my favorite movies of all time. It's one of the five best. It's up there with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Is Fiddler on the Roof. And, and you know, you know, what do you say about this? Well, on the one hand, but on the other hand. But on the one hand, but on the other hand. And it's replete throughout the movie. You know, uh, the butcher, the, the fella who's middle-aged and, and, maybe a little bit past the, the, the desires of most young ladies who were maybe in their 20-year-old range, wants to marry Tevia's daughter. And, 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 and Tevia's sitting there and he's saying, well, on the one hand, my daughter's going to throw a fit if I say yes because she's not going to want to marry him. She wants to marry Model the tailor. But on the other hand, he's a butcher. She'll never go hungry. But on the one hand, you know, and he's weighing it back and forth. 
You know, it's, it's a very Jewish thing. So we see it a lot in Matthew, a very Jewish gospel. Now, this is where Jesus sends out his 12 apostles in Matthew 10, starting in verse 5. He sends them out and he says, go out to the lost sheep of Israel. I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying. You give without pay. You're not doing this for the money. You're doing this for the kingdom. This is your kingdom service. So you don't get gold or silver or copper for your belts. You don't need a bag. You don't need tunics. You can get your food there. When you enter the village, the town, find out who's worthy. Stay in their house. They'll take good care of you. As they enter, the, as you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. That's got the men day. Here it is. Men. And if on the one, whoops, I didn't write it in the right place. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong verse. Uh, bump up here. Men. Um, and as you enter the house, if the house is worthy, that's the men. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it day. But if it's not, let your peace return to you. See the balance here? Men day. If on the one hand it's a worthy house, let your peace come upon it. But if on the other hand it's not, then let your peace return to you. Now, these are the simple ones. This is to get you a good feel because you're trying to get warmed up here. Let's look at one more out of Matthew. Matthew 21, 35. This is the parable of the tenants. This is the one where there's a master who planted a vineyard. He puts a fence around it. He puts a wine press in it. He does all of the work. Gets it all built up, all ready to go. He's got a tower and then he leases it out while he goes to work in another country. Now the season for the fruit drew near. And so the people he leased it to have to pay him for their opportunity of renting this fantastic estate that he's already built up. And so he sends a servant to the tenants to get his share of their harvest. That's the payment. The tenants take the servants, they beat one, they kill another, and they stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first. They did the same to them. It goes, finally, he sends his son thinking they'll respect his son, but they don't. They kill him as well. Now, in this, there's a men day. But this is a men day, 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 day. Here's the way it goes. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get fruit. And, men, the tenants took his servants and they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned another. So, on the one hand, whoops, on the one hand, he sends them to collect his fruit. But on the other hand, they beat him, killed him, and stoned him. So, what we've got here is, 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 actually, I've messed up. They beat the first one. That was your men. And then they killed and stoned the others. One they just beat. On the one hand, they beat him. But then, on the other hand, they killed and stoned the others. You with me? 
So it's, again, you've got the men in the day. Now, those are the easy ones. Now let's get to some that are a little bit more interesting to look at, perhaps. A little bit more to work on. And we've got them here. I've tried to put the Greek and the English next to each other so that you've got another shot at looking at it. And we'll go through several of these as we've got time. Let's start with 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20, 18 and 23. All right. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 23. Can you all see that okay or is it too small? It's too small. You don't have your glasses. Can someone loan Miss Carolyn some glasses? How about y'all back there? So y'all can't see it either, can you? Well, this is not going to be very helpful to me. Here, Miss Carolyn. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the English and then we'll just scoot over and we'll look at the Greek. Can you read your English now? Okay. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 23, or 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to men, those who are perishing, but to us, they, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, look at what he's set up here. He has set this up to say, and if we're looking at word order, which we know is so important from the last few weeks, he says the word of the cross, that's the same word order as the Greek, the word of the cross is, on the one hand, that folly actually dips down there in the Greek word order. So it's, For the word of the cross, on the one hand, to the ones who are perishing, it's folly, foolishness, mores in the Greek. Here, moria is the word form. Here's your Greek, moria, M-O-R-I-A. We get the word moron from it. That gives you an idea of what we're talking about. So, to the word of the cross is to those, on the one hand, to those who are perishing, it's moronic. There are people in the world who truly think this idea that you believe or that I believe, that we believe that there is a Jesus fella who lived died on a cross, and was resurrected. There are people in the world who think we're morons for believing that. It's just a moronic idea. But on the other hand, to those who are being saved, the power of God it is. In the Greek. The power of God, it is, in the Greek. So, hey, Paul sets up a nice parallel here. Here it is. The word of the cross. You got it? To those, to the uh, well, on the one hand, men, 
on the one hand, to those beings who, who are perishing, it's moronic. But to those day, to those saved, it's the power of God. What a distinction. They're the, they're the people who see it as moronic, and they're the people who know it to be the power of God. Now look at verse 23, because he does it again in the verse 23. He says, we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now, if we switch over to the Greek and look at the Greek for a moment. He says, we. That's a but, just in that sense. We preach Christ crucified. Now, uh, let's pause. If you were here, I don't want to get this too complicated, but someone out there was here last week when we talked about how sometimes you repeat a pronoun for emphasis. He's doing that here. That's got we, whoops, and this also says we preach. So he's got the we twice. We, we preach Christ crucified. And this says to Jews, on the one hand, it's a stumbling block, a scandal on. That was the trigger of a trap that would set a trap. Ethnesin to the ethnics, to the Gentiles, on the other hand, it's moronic. It's foolish. It's Maria. So we preach Christ crucified, even though to the Jews it's a stumbling block, even though to the Greeks and the Gentiles it's foolishness, we preach it anyway. Why? Because it's the power of God to save. And that's the bottom line. And some people are going to accept it, and some people are going to know that salvation. They're going to get past the moronic idea. They're going to get over, the, the, they're going to stumble and see the need for the mercy. And they'll accept it. But even though they see it that way, it doesn't stop us from preaching it. We must preach it. It's the power of God to save. And so it's a great usage of that to show the stark differences. Now, look at a second one here. Let's look at Philippians 3.13. Put the English up first. Philippians 3.13. Brothers. Now let, let's, let me put this into context for you. So in Philippians 3, Paul has just recounted all of the great things Paul had done as a person. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. They could follow his lineage all the way back to Benjamin, uh, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee, he, uh, Pharisees. I mean, he was all of these things. He says, but all of those incredible things I count as a loss, as garbage, as refuse. It's of nothing compared 
to that much greater value of knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and for knowing Christ crucified, I count everything as rubbish compared to that knowledge. And so what I do is I don't consider that I've made it on my own. Look here. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, this call of Christ. But one thing I do, on the one hand, men, forgetting what lies behind, and day, on the other hand, I strain forward to what lies ahead. Now, we can read that and we can say one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. But we need to see that for Paul, he's distinguished those two. That's the power of the men day. He says, well, here's what I've done. I am forgetting what lies behind. On the one hand, I forget everything that's got me here. He had a lot to forget. And some of it was good and some of it was bad. But that's not where he's living. He's not living looking backwards. I have met so many people who are wonderful believers in the Lord who still spend so much of their time looking backwards and regretting mistakes they've made or living off glories they've achieved. And I'm convinced that those people just need a picture of Lot's wife in front of them. Looking back has not been useful since Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, she was assaulted, lady. If you don't get it, read the story, yeah. Uh, I mean, I should be a pillar of salt. I've looked back so many times. Jesus said, when you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. I don't care if you messed up yesterday. I don't care how bad you messed up. I don't care if you messed up a year ago. I don't care if you had a horrible morning and woke up on the wrong side of the bed and were vicious to anyone within 10 feet of you. You repent. And then you're done. And you work forward. And you don't let the, you know, there's a, there's a time of true moral guilt where you're truly guilty for what you did and you need to say, I'm sorry. And you need to make amends and you need to try to fix it. I'm not taken away from that. But once you've made amends and you've tried to fix it, once you've repented from the Lord, what's left is not moral guilt, it's shame. And shame has no life in the role of a Christian. No role in the life of a Christian. Because it it's a tool of the devil. And we need to get over it. And so forgetting what lies behind on the one hand, on the other hand, I strain forward to what lies ahead. God promises to work in me today. God promises to use me Today, God promises to provide what I need today. 
God promises that he will make a way for me today. God promises to empower me today. You know, Pastor David was te- preaching this morning from 2 Timothy. Of, yeah, 2 Timothy 2. <laughs> I remember that because he made the point it came after 1 Timothy in the Bible. Um, <clears throat> and 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 I was, I was following along and, and uh, I was following along in the Greek. And, and here's what David was preached from. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men. Look, share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ. So entrust, share. Those are present tense verbs and they're imperatives. Paul is saying, do this today. Make this what you're doing today. This is an example of Paul doing the very thing he said in Philippians. This is Paul forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So I'm going to live my life today for tomorrow, for what lies ahead, for the victories in Jesus. I've got a choice. On the one hand, I can live in the past. But on the other hand, I can turn from what has happened and strain forward to what lies ahead. You with me? All right, let's look at another men day. We're going to go now to the book of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews uses men day a whole lot. So we need a little background on the book of Hebrews for a moment. And here's our background. Hebrews. I want you to think about Hebrews. Let's get this a little bit more visible. I want you to think about the book of Hebrews in the following sense. Hebrews is written to a group of people who had been Jews and then became Christians, Christian Jews, I guess we could say. We'll just say Christians. And then are thinking about, hmm, maybe we should be Jews. Maybe that whole Christianity thing was a fad. Maybe it's time to return to our roots. You know, they did have good holidays. I like the matzah. Annual trips to Jerusalem. Maybe it's time we return. And so the letter of Hebrews comes out and it says, no. Here's the difference. What Judaism was and what Christianity is. Judaism is a shadow. Whoops. Christianity is a reality. Bless you. Judaism is like if there's an open door and you're in a room and there's a light from back behind that door, a powerful light, so someone's approaching the room. And as they're approaching the room, before they come into the door, you can see their shadow. And you can tell uh, uh, it's a person, they got two arms and two legs, they're wearing a hat. 
They, 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 you can tell something about the clothing. Perhaps it looks like a dress, Miss Carolyn. It might be you approaching. You, can I embarrass you and ask you to stand up for a moment? You don't mind, do you? All right, this is Miss Carolyn, y'all. If you don't know her, she's always on the front row. Come on, turn around. Now look at this hat. And look at this pretty dress she has on. Now, if Miss Carolyn's approaching and the light's just right, and I see in the, I can see before I see her, I see her shadow. I see that pretty hat. I notice she's not wearing glasses today. I see that pretty hat. I see that pretty dress and maybe me make out the scarf around her. And I think, oh, that might be Miss Carolyn. And I might really enjoy knowing she's coming. But then once she walks in the room, Am I going to go up and hug Miss Carolyn? Or am I going to just hug the shadow? <laughs> you can sit down. That's the example we have in Hebrews. That's what they're saying. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, you've, you've been, Judaism's had the shadow. They had the semblance of what was coming in Jesus. But now they've got the reality of Jesus. Don't go back and start hugging the shadow. Make sense? All right, that's the book of Hebrews in five minutes. All right, now, now that you got the book of Hebrews in five minutes, let's look at some examples of men day out of Hebrews. Some are easy, some aren't so easy. Let's see what we can do. We'll start with Hebrews 3, verses 5 and 6. Now, Moses, on the one hand... Moses, on the one hand, was faithful in all God's house as a servant. I want to highlight, in all God's house as a servant. To testify to all the things that were to be spoken later. Now, just stop for a moment. Here, no, no, this is the no peaky rule. Can't, no peaky. Just stop with the men. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Get it easily on the screen for you. And that's a great shadow. Moses, a good, good man, a faithful man. And he was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. And he testified about things that would be spoken later. All of that's on the one hand. But on the other hand, day, Christ is faithful not in God's house as a servant, but he's faithful over God's house as a son. On the one hand, Moses is faithful in God's house as a servant. But on the other hand, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, not a servant. Now, who's in the house of God? We are, for starters. We're his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. What does that mean? If this is the house of God... And we are in God's house. This is me. This is you. 
This is all of everybody in God's house. Look who's in there. Moses. Moses is in God's house. He's a servant. He's serving. He's doing things for God in God's house. But where is Christ? Christ is over the house. And he reigns as a son. So Christ is over us. Christ is over Moses. Are you really going to go worship the servant in the house with you? Are you going to embrace the servant when you've got the son to worship who's over the house? Of course not. So you see the men day there to contrast those two? He wants you to see, he wanted them to see, and the writer wants us to see the difference between Moses and Jesus. Look at the next Hebrew passage, Hebrews 7, 23 through 24. Now, the former priests, here, let's keep the no peaky rule. On the one hand, the former priests, these are the priests under the Moses Code. These are the Judaism priests. These are the priests we read about in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and in the Gospels. The former priests were many in number. So on the one hand, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. You got to have a bunch of priests because they die. So... You know, hey, here's a priest. Well, that's going to be real good till he's up and dead. But then what are we going to do? So we got a whole bunch of priests. They're many in number because they die. They, they, they are, quote, prevented by death from continuing in office. Okay. That's like John F. Kennedy was prevented by death from continuing in office. Abraham Lincoln was prevented by death from continuing in office. It just means because they died. Okay, that just sounds like real formal English. But in my translation of the Bible, it's going to say, uh, you know, they had to quit because they were dead. But on the other hand, men day. On the other hand, he holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. On the one hand, they die. So you got to have a bunch of them. On the other hand, we don't need a bunch of priests. We have Jesus Christ as our high priest. He ministers the covenant before God. He not only gives the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice before God. And we don't need another one. Because he conquered death. Now, who's the greater priest and which system is better? Judaism or Christianity? And if that's the point, you're going to embrace the shadow or the reality, the men or the day. Look at another one. Now, this one's a little bit harder. This one, the men day, gives you some really good insight, but it's long. So you're going to invest a little bit of time with me, and it's going to pay off. Are you ready? 
Okay, you got it now. Everything we've done is to get you ready for this passage. You feeling men and day? You you got you can you separate the men from the day, boys? All right. Now, if men if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy. They serve a shadow of the heavenly things. When Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God. And God said, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, on the other hand, day. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, we know this is a men day. It's separated by a whole lot of substance. So we want to look at the substance and we want to make sure we get the contrast from the day. When things like this were written, they weren't written to be read once and just be absorbed. They were written to be read multiple times so that people would think about what was there. The reader would even expound on it oftentimes and explain it as they were reading. So, if on the one hand he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Is he a priest? Is Christ a priest? Yes. He's not on earth. In that sense. He's not a physical being on earth. If he were, on the one hand. But he's not. Men day. There are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. So if that's the men, what's the day? It's not a copy. It's not a shadow. It's the reality. It's the real thing. When Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see you make everything according to the pattern shown to you. There must have been a pattern shown. A pattern of what? Of the real thing. Christ has a ministry much more excellent than the old. Why? Because his is the real thing. Not a copy. Not a shadow, not based on a pattern. It's enacted on better promises. It's a better covenant. The first covenant wasn't going to remove your guilt. It was not faultless. You could not look at the covenant of the Old Testament and say, fine, they don't have sin anymore, simply by itself. It was a copy. All of those Old Testament sacrifices for sin were mere copies and shadows of the real sacrifice. 
the, the tabernacle that was erected by Moses or under his instruction was a pattern with the Holy of Holies where only God would meet with the high priest who purged the sins of the people annually. That is a copy of the true high priest who really did purge the sins of the people. And doesn't have to do it annually because he did it once sufficient for all. And that's the men in the day. Um, uh, the men day in Hebrews is really, really, really good. Uh, if uh, I don't have time for this last. Oh, oh man. Okay, look. I got carried away. Look, all right, we're just going to go fast now. Y'all got it down, right? Y'all are getting this. All right, so here's fast one. Hebrews 10, 11 and 12. Now, if men, on the one hand, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But they, on the other hand, and you already know we've got a contrast. Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins and sat down at the right hand of God. Look at the contrast. The priest stands on the one hand. On the other hand, Christ sits. The priest has to stand. He's working. Christ sits. His work is finished. On the one hand, he's having to do it daily. Christ did it one time for all time. A single sacrifice for all time. On the one hand, he's offering a sacrifice, the priest is, that can never take away sins. The implicit implication is, but the one that Christ offered took away sins. See, it's great. Okay, Acts 12, 5. This sets up a whole story. This is the story where Herod declares war on the church. And he starts arresting people. And Peter's locked up in chains. In the prison of Herod. And Herod plans on killing him. And an angel of the Lord comes down. And delivers Peter. And here's the way it's set up. The whole story. Peter was kept on the one hand. Peter was kept in prison. On the other hand. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This is the boxing. In this corner. Peter is in prison by the power of Herod the king. And in this corner, earnest prayer is being offered to God by the church. And then the story unfolds. And Herod the king, at the end of the story, in Acts, in verse 23 and 24, Herod finally goes in front of a crowd who calls him God, and he says, look at me, I'm God. And God strikes him down. Meanwhile, the very next verse says, but the church kept growing as the word of the Lord was proclaimed. So the match is set up with Mende. In this corner, Herod's got Peter in prison. But in this corner, the church is praying for his release. And when all the dust settles, Herod and his prison are gone. And the church is growing by the prayers of the saints. So with that, fast points for home. I can get us out of here in two minutes. Here we go. The word of the cross, on the one hand, it's foolish to those who are perishing. But on the other hand, 
to those of us being saved, it's the power of God. Lord, open the eyes of the blind and lead me to the cross. That's where I want to be. Point for home number two. So on the one hand, Peter was kept in prison. But on the other hand, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I, I got options. We started this whole thing out today talking about options. Among all the options, prayers in mine. I'm going to include prayer in my options. This week, I got options. I'm going to pray about it. It may just be something under my breath. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm not just going to say, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray about it. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, open the door. Lord, close the door. Lord, help me here. Lord, keep me safe on the road. Lord, help me drive a safe way home. Lord, help me drive right. Lord, da 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 All the way. Last point for home. Now, on the one hand, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. On the other hand, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. I'm going for the son. Can I bless you in the name of Jesus, Lord? In the name of Jesus, I extend out the graciousness of your blessing upon your people. I pray, Lord, that you would bless and keep my friends and family here. That you would make your face shine upon them. That you and your graciousness would bring peace upon their life. Would meet their needs. And protect them and strengthen them in Jesus Christ. Through whom we pray, a high priest over all. Amen. Amen.